Hello and welcome to Aisha Presents with me, Aisha Nabi. In this episode, we will be exploring the many ways in which PMDD affects work. I'll be talking to Claire Louise Knox, who is a founder and director of See Her Thrive. Claire Louise is a board director at the International Association for Premenstrual Disorders, IAPMD, and an affiliate member of the Association for Business Psychology, British Psychological Society and CIPD, Chartered Institute of Personnel and Development. She's also an examiner for the Royal College of Obstetricians and Gynecologists. Recently, Claire Louise was selected to be part of a government task force to address menstrual stigma and education in the UK. She also lectures on women's mental health at King's College London and is a PhD researcher working in collaboration with the NHS and Ministry of Defence. This series is sponsored by Arima CBD oils, which many people have found helpful in alleviating the symptoms of PMDD. Arima have an extensive range of CBD oils in varying strengths. Their researchers have extracted pure hemp oil from organically grown cannabis plants without using harmful chemicals. All of their products are manufactured and tested in the UK in a strict and methodical environment, making Arima CBD amongst the purest on the market. CBD is reportedly good for a multitude of health problems including pain relief, anxiety reduction, mood enhancement and heart health. Visit www.arima.co.uk to make your purchase. If you use my code AISHA10, you will receive 10% off on all orders. I'm joined now with Claire Louise. Hello, thank you so much for being with us today. How are you, Claire? Hello. Oh, it's wonderful to be here. Thank you so much for having me as a, a guest on the show. Oh, you're so welcome. It's a privilege to have you on. You've got a really impressive bio, I must say. Oh, thank you. That means a lot. So, Claire, tell me a bit about yourself and your journey with PMDD and what actually inspired you to start See Her Thrive. Oh, goodness me. That's a, that's a tale and a half. Um, so <laughs> I, oh, I was diagnosed with, um, with PMDD in my late 20s. So I'm now 34. So that was about ooh, five, five years ago, I'm going to say, maybe a bit more. Um, and I had noticed that um, my, my PMS, which I'd always kind of suffered with just really got got a whole lot worse um and I was losing days to um fatigue and depression I would have these crying episodes about anything and everything really um and I found it really difficult to to manage symptoms at work I was a secondary school teacher at the time and month in month out I would just battle through um the fatigue and the depression and the tears and the anxiety and just you know as as so many of us do go to work wearing a mask you know acting like everything is okay and and just doing whatever I could to get through the day and to get through the month um, so that's really um, where it, it kind of started. And then um, more recently, I've actually been diagnosed as being perimenopausal. So on top of PMDD, I'm now 
grappling with um, depleting hormone levels, which is just wonderful. When you when you say when you say premenopausal, because obviously a lot of listeners when they think of menopause, they is, uh, automatically assume it's to do with like old age and you're coming towards your like the final end of your cycle for those of you for those people who aren't so aware of premenopause like that must be a double whammy can you like go through some of that like the details of that yeah yeah. so I guess it's probably worth explaining a little bit about symptoms and and how I was kind of Oh, alerted to the fact that I might be perimenopausal. Um, so PMDD, as as we know, is characteristically you get symptoms um, before your period, and that for me was always very typical. I would have um, symptoms in the in the week right before my period arrived, but mm. for oh goodness me, I would say at least the past twelve months symptoms have been starting to creep into the other part of my cycle which means that it's not necessarily PMDD because PMDD is premenstrual in its nature Um, and I I developed some other weird and wonderful things as well like I was having um, really dry sore eyes, sore finger joints, um, night sweats, Oh, what else? Palpitations. Um, I kept getting a weird, like a weird taste in my mouth. Um, and just generally feeling flat and not feeling myself at all. Um, I'm usually really upbeat and um kind of happy and positive and optimistic, and just for so long now I've just felt incredibly flat and joyless and yeah. Word I would use to describe it, and so because I'm I'm aware of perimenopause, I started to think, bloody hell, you know, this I'm taking all of the boxes here for perimenopause. The only thing really that I wasn't experiencing was hot flashes, which a lot of people do do get. I also had changes to my periods, so I was having um. I've been having very, very heavy periods one month and then the next month, very a very light period. Yeah. My cycle length changed. It used to be 30 days, um, like clockwork, and it's now only about 23 to 27 days. I read somewhere, actually, this is just another thing that I just thought I'd mention because you mentioned about your changing cycle lengths. And with lockdown and coronavirus, I've heard this has been a bit of a study going on that women's cycles are changing during lockdown because of the stress that we're carrying. Yeah, you're, ab- you're absolutely right. I think it's Dr. Anita, oh goodness me, I've forgotten her surname. Um, she's Gyne Geek on um, Instagram. She's amazing. She has what a great a- name. <laughs> what a great name gynecologist and she she does um so much for female reproductive health um so she's really worth a follow Uh, but her she has um I know she put out a survey about um menstrual cycles during lockdown and other people have been doing research on this as well and and you're absolutely right it's 
clear that the stress of lockdown and I think the change to our kind of everyday routines has had a huge impact on cycle length, on premenstrual symptoms, on, um, you know, just our, our general menstrual health, which is, is fascinating, but it shows just how um, sensitive we are to our environment. Mm. Definitely. It's definitely exacerbated it in a lot of women, especially myself. Lockdowns cause a lot of anxiety. Like you don't know, there's so much level of uncertainty going on globally. And it is affecting people anyway, despite the gender. And people with PMDD, it's probably affecting them more so. Like I feel like symptoms are probably becoming quite severe um, because of lockdown and, you know, having to isolate yourself, etc. So obviously, when you spoke about your journey, um, what was a kind of tipping point, um, as you will, to actually inspire you to start See Her Thrive? Like, what was the kind of light, lightning bolt moment for you when you set that up? So I guess, oh, it was a number of things, really. Um, so while I mentioned I was working as a secondary school teacher and um, I, I really wanted to learn how to manage PMDD at work and I really wanted help and support with that and I looked for information so I got on Google like most of us do and I was looking for things like what kind of workplace support is available for PMDD um how do I tell my manager about PMDD and I couldn't find a thing not a thing and then um, I was actually, I decided to to retrain as a business psychologist because this, this interest in reproductive health in the workplace, just it really, something inside of me was ignited, if you like. And yeah. so I retrained to really learn about this and to focus on it. And then I did, I did some research looking at... Um, trying to understand other people's experiences of PMDD at work. And a similar thing came out of that. So I spoke to around 20 20 people um, in different careers, different occupations, ranging from um, nursing to working in mental health to teaching to, oh, goodness me, there were so many things to being in the police to freelancing. And people all said without exception that the lack of awareness for um, PMDD in the workplace was just shocking and there was no support they didn't feel able to talk about it at work Um, and so after after meeting these women and hearing about their experiences some of which were just horrendous the way that they were treated and discriminated against because of PMDD I just thought you know what this is completely and utterly bonkers and unacceptable and I really this needs to change and I don't know how I'm gonna do it but I'm gonna damn try my best to make a difference and so that was really the start of See Her Thrive Um, and it's been a really interesting exciting and challenging journey because I'm still grappling with PMDD myself and still Mm. trying to navigate being 
now self-employed and running a business and and still living with symptoms so it's kind of a new chapter um but still very very challenging although the the drive and the motivation that I get from trying to, to help people and to make things better for people with PMDD in work and beyond that's really it's too important to not do anything um yeah that that really keeps me going especially when I'm feeling crap yeah honestly I think it's a very commendable and inspiring thing that you're doing and I take my hats off to you because I'm in awe with your work even the introduction to your bio was just amazing and it's just you can tell you work so hard to raise awareness and to help people and women who are suffering from this and obviously work is so important because when you're in a work environment and you have you're going through like you know what they call hell week or if you're in your luteal phase and you're feeling the kind of pmdd like the wrath of it it can really affect you at work because not only does it make you tired and it, it, it lacks motivation it can affect your um concentration as well I find um I remember when I was working in London I um I was working in an office and my PMDD was at its worst then and I used to get so emotional but I wouldn't show it in front of everyone I would go into the bathroom and cry <laughs> can't believe I'm admitting this on my podcast but yeah I'd I would go in my lunch break, I wouldn't really eat anything. I would just sit in the toilet cubicle and cry because I was just feeling so emotional and so depressed, full of anxiety. And I feel like it's so important to have that kind of, you know, awareness within the work situation when it comes to PMDD. It kind of leads me to my next question, actually, which is PMDD is not recognized within the scope of the Equalities Act 2010, which outlaws discrimination on the basis of, amongst other things, disability. Should it be included in this scope? Well, this is a it's thought to be a bit of a grey area, but hopefully this will kind of do some myth busting around the Equality Act. Um, And just to say that this has been sense checked by an employment expert that we work really closely with, um, who has verified that, you know, this is, this is accurate. So what I'm telling you is, is um, accurate. It's not rubbish. Um, But although PMDD isn't listed um, exclusively under the Equality Act as a as a disability in the same way that um, other conditions, so things like um, cancer and HIV, they are they are listed there. Um, but PMDD does meet individual grounds for disability um, because it lasts it's long term, it lasts more than 12 months. Um, and it has a significant Im- impact on daily life. And they are really the, the criteria that people look at when they are considering what is and what is not a disability. And so if, you know, if you can safely say that PMDD affects your everyday life to the point that you you can't do your normal everyday activities, and that would include work, it would include things like um, you know your your social interactions, being able to just get out of bed. I mean, goodness me, it, it, we are so severely impaired that to just exist is difficult some days. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you meet 
that criteria and also your PMDD is thought to last um, for 12 months or longer, which, you know, unless you're booked in for surgery to have your ovaries removed, the chances are this is going to be something that you're going to live with for quite a few years, um, then you are protected under the Equality Act. And not many people realise that. And I think that's why a lot of people are so afraid to speak up at work. Yeah. And one of the things that I'm really, really, um, I guess one of the things that's really important to me is that women do understand that they have got protection. And as soon as they tell their employer that they've got PMDD, then if they don't get the support that they need um, or they're treated differently, they're treated unfairly, um, then the employer's in breach of the Equality Act. It's as simple as that. And you would have grounds for discrimination um, on the basis of disability and gender. So that's something that I hope, you know, if, if people take one thing away with them from from this, it's, it's that you are protected. So don't be afraid to speak up at work. Um, you, you can't or you shouldn't be treated any differently if you tell your employer about PMDD. Um, you definitely shouldn't lose your job. You shouldn't be passed up for promotions or anything like that. Yeah, that's very well said. Um, just coming off of that, employees um, have a duty to consider flexibility in employment to people with disabilities or those returning from maternity or paternity leave most employers want to retain good people what do you think they can or should do for people with PMDD in this regard that's a great question and thank you <laughs> I, um, it, it really it's a tricky one to answer um, because it really does depend on how the person is affected by PMDD we know that yeah everyone's impacted differently and experiences different symptoms so that's the the kind of first thing to consider and then the other thing to look at is the actual job um, and the organization but there are some kind of um I guess broad broadly speaking there are some general things that employers can do um you've mentioned flexible working and that is key so giving giving people the option to work from home when they need it, to take time off to attend appointments. Um, you know, with PMDD, we're usually back and forwards to our GP or to go and, you know, see a therapist or whatever it is. Um, but just having that flexibility and giving people the autonomy and the trust to just get on with their job and do it um, without micromanaging, without, you know, breathing down the neck. But I think we need to we need to just respect that people can and should be able to manage their own um, workflow. Um, and we have this we have this perception of productivity that we get up every day, we rock into work and we are at the same level of productivity day in day out and the reality is that's just not the case for any of us regardless of PMDD we all have 
days where we're really productive and you know we're super creative mm. and articulate and we're getting a million things done and yeah. then other days, other days it's like everything feels like it's against you and you can't get anything yeah. done and so that I think is something that a lot more managers in particular could um try and get their heads around that productivity fluctuates um for everyone not just for people with PMDD and we've got to flex with that um and stop trying to fit people into these very tight highly structured work models the next thing I think is just being understanding and just being a source of support and that can mean so much um because you know with with PMDD a lot of the time it's taken perhaps years to get a diagnosis it's taken years for someone in the medical profession to actually listen to us to believe us to hear us to see us and then if we then think about the work the workplace the last thing we want is for a manager to then tell us basically I don't believe you or it's not important or this this can't be a problem or it's just a bit of period pain so I think the more managers and employers can be uh, empathetic and try and appreciate this awful journey that someone might be on with PMDD then you know just having that validation and that support can really really go a long way and some of the the people that talk about really positive experiences at work talk about the fact that their manager has had regular one-to-ones with them to to check in on their well-being so not about business performance and not about work KPIs but genuinely on a personal level on a a personal personal level on a personal level and going over and above to make sure that um, the employee is is well and is okay and what they can do to support them and I think the the kind of that human-centered approach is crucial for for people with PMDD um, because we you know it's hard enough without feeling like you aren't supported at work. Yeah. It's definitely a really nice approach to have in the work environment because like you mentioned, not only is it um, like it affects your motivation. For me as well, if I'm trying to get work done, it's so hard to find that motivation. I'm constantly tired and I feel very overwhelmed um, with the workload. So I definitely agree with you. I think there should be something like that put in place with managers not just to talk about business side of things or the work side of things but actually more of a on a personal level speaking Mm. to you as a person Mm. um in your experience what sort of issues have pmdd sufferers reported to you in regards to employment or vice versa oh i think you've mentioned quite a few of them but um in terms of symptoms and work then um Yes, difficulties in being able to concentrate. So this brain fog that a lot of us will experience, that can cause huge issues um, with not just being able to focus and concentrate, but actually making mistakes and and 
dropping the ball, as it were. Um, and that can be really difficult, um, especially if you've got to work on something that is very detail-oriented or very um, repetitive or requires a lot of attention. And so people do frequently say that brain fog is just making their work life hell. Um, and what I would say to anyone who's listening that you know resonates with that is try and, and get away from the idea that your brain is intended to hold on to everything. We do think of the brain as this sponge that is there to absorb and hold on to lots and lots of information. But actually, it's it's really not. Um, and we should get into the habit of writing things down, especially for when this brain fog hits. So anything that you can get out of your head and onto paper um, or onto, I don't know, a sticky note on your, you know, the laptop, desktop thingamajiggery, then that's all helpful because if we're relying on our brain when hell week strikes we're kind of setting ourselves up for failure in a way so that's that's one thing it's it's the brain fog and the next is relationships with other people and yeah pmdd affects emotion regulation so that means our in basic terms our rational brain is hijacked and we become incredibly emotional we can um, have a very skewed perception of the world and of the people around us. We are hyper um, sensitive. We take things like feedback very personally. We take rejection very personally. And so that can make interpersonal relationships at work really, really difficult. And we often hear from people who they've either you know lashed out at a colleague they've said something that they really made a regret um in the heat of the moment because you know with the really hard thing with pmdd although you can feel that anger and irritation bubbling up and you know it's coming it's like a volcano you know you're about to erupt sometimes when you're at work you've got nowhere to go to release that and so it comes out yeah it's a big explosion yeah and so people can find themselves in meetings they'll you know just open their mouth and and let it all come out whatever they're thinking it's almost like that filter um that filter of, of what's socially acceptable disappears um and so that can land people in all kinds of difficulties whether that's strained relationships with their colleagues whether that's you know, being um, speaking out of turn to someone in a higher position, whether it's um, causing damage to their professional image. Yeah. And I think that that really is um, one of the reasons why being open about PMDD at work can be helpful. When I think back to um, previous work situations I've been in where I have said things that I've I've regretted, if my colleagues had known about PMDD, I would have found it much easier to say, look, I'm so sorry, I was in hell week and I just couldn't help it. I couldn't control it. I tried really hard. And I think it would have helped them equally to understand why I would go from 
this very happy, lighthearted person to be in this seemingly really negative, pessimistic, whingy, um, outspoken, obstructive person, which is is how I would describe what I was like, actually, at, at times. I feel like this also overlaps with weeks on the episode before this, we were talking to um, Anna Rota, who talked about PMDD and relationships. And everything you're saying is kind of applies to relationships, whether it be um, parents or family members or, um, you know, your spouse members or, you, you know, any sort of relationship. I think having an honest and open conversation early on will benefit both parties in this aspect. So no one's like gonna be surprised by what behavior you put out there it's kind of like a disclaimer to have that kind of honest um, conversation between both parties and as you mentioned now with the work it's good to have that kind of conversation with your colleagues and your boss and your manager just to you know just to set the set the path and let them know what's going on with you because then they are aware of any kind of behavioral patterns that seem different to what you're normally like as you've mentioned Absolutely. And I think that's a really good way to look at it as a disclaimer, because then you can almost pre-warn people that, you know, you can say things like, look, I'm I'm feeling really out of control. I, I just can't handle this right now. And it, it kind of gives people that signal of, well, she's clearly, you know, struggling or she's clearly in, in hell week. We need to a, give us some support, B, give us some space, whatever it is you need, you can then have that conversation. Um, so yeah, the, the one thing I would also say is it's it's about personal choice. So yes, in a, in a lot of cases, being open about PMDD is positive um, because it allows people to support you at work. But by the same token, it's entirely up to you whether or not you want to talk about it. You know, it is a very private thing. It's a private condition. And you might still be dealing with a diagnosis and getting to terms with it and getting your own head around it. And so you're under no pressure at all. And there's no kind of legal obligation. You're not going to be fired if you don't tell your employer about PMDD. That is completely your your own choice so I think it's really important for people to know that whilst yes I I think my stance is it it's better because you can um explain some of the the perhaps negative behaviors or things like absence better if people know and you'll get support it it really is down to every individual person and unfortunately we know that some workplaces are horrible um, there's really poor management and leadership and there's really, you know, a toxic culture. And so it might not feel safe to make that disclosure. So it, it really is a personal choice. It depends on your circumstances and where you are in your own PMDD journey. Exactly. I completely agree with you there. Um, what initiatives are being undertaken to educate HR professionals or employers with regard to this debilitating disease? Well, I wish I could say there was more happening because, blimey, we need it. Um, in terms of initiatives, so I'll just explain how we approach this. Um, we, we've done, oh, goodness me, hundreds of, of 
talks now um, about PMDD and other female reproductive health issues. So, you know, that includes endometriosis, polycystic ovary syndrome, menopause. um, And those talks have been targeted at um, HR professionals and line managers. And so that's kind of one one approach and then the the other thing is providing information so as well as um providing talks it's about providing things like um guides that hr professionals can use which explains a bit about the condition which explains things like reasonable adjustments that can be made which explains things like pmdd is seen as a disability under the equality act um, so there's that kind of educational element as well, um, which which we also look at and support organisations with. Um, in terms of other things, um, I don't know that there's much else happening beyond what we are doing, if I'm being completely honest. Um, yeah, which is, I know there's people doing a lot around menopause, uh, and they've got a wonderful opportunity to tag on PMDD, but I'm not sure that that happens in many cases. Um, so yeah, that's that's essentially it for the time being. That sounds great. Um, if there were more women in senior management positions or on boards of companies, it follows that there would be more women with PMDD or at least more understanding of the issues. What are your thoughts on this? I think that's a really, really good, good question and a good hypothesis. Yes, we would assume that if we've got better representation of women at senior levels, then yes, if if we're seeing one in 20 have PMDD, then that kind of goes hand in hand. However, we know that a lot of women who have got PMDD don't even know they have it and so it may be that they're struggling and they don't know why and so they don't they don't relate to PMDD or they they don't um resonate with it um but yes and the other I guess the other thing with that is it it really again it depends on your personal experience of PMDD some people would want to use their own experience to kind of advocate for others and to improve awareness whereas other people would keep that private and again it's you know it, it's down to each person as to, to how they deal with it and how they manage it um, so I would imagine that some women would really strive to make change in their organization whereas other women might have other priorities so I don't think we can I don't think we can be completely black and white about that but I would like to hope that yes if we improve diversity at senior levels and we've got more women in those in those top positions then yes we will get better recognition and acceptance of not only PMDD but everything that we we go through as females you know you mentioned before maternity leave but we know that even in 2020 there is still a lot of discrimination for for women who you know have children so 
yes, I, let's be optimistic on that one. And, and let's, <laughs> yeah. Um, when you mentioned the one in 20 women, I was speaking to a few other guests about this, this number one in 20, it could be more because of this lack of awareness that a lot of people have with PMDD and the misdiagnosis that often comes with it with, from GPs. Um, people getting misdiagnosed with bipolar or borderline personality disorder and people are still unaware that they have PMDD because it goes undiagnosed and also the number one in 20 for all we know it could be higher so I think th- for that reason it, the lack of awareness comes into play with that number. Absolutely yeah I think you've touched on something really important there and it is the fact that PMDD is Un- unrecognized and underdiagnosed and yes I would agree I think the numbers are probably quite a bit higher than one in 20 um, but that is kind of the the best estimate we've got and when we're looking at prevalence rates it really it, it is a, a, an estimate we'll never be 100% certain of how many people have got the condition um, but as you've said I think the chances are that number, as we do more research and we collect more data, I think over the years we might find that number creeps up. Yeah, for sure. I was actually speaking to um, Natalie Ryan Hebert on my mental health episode and PMDD, and she touched on something really interesting that makes a lot of sense, really. And she said that um, PMDD is sometimes quite often rooted from a personal trauma which is magnified during the luteal phase and for me that made so much sense because I know personally when I had my traumatic incident my PMDD just flared out of control and I feel like even though PMDD was already there and it was you know it was it was already there but I feel like with certain issues like a trauma or something triggering those emotions, it can honestly spiral it out and can magnify it. So I feel like that's also another thing that comes into play. And I think more research should be done into that aspect as well and looking at the psyche of an individual. Definitely, definitely. And yes, we we definitely need more research on the links with trauma. Um, And I think, I believe there is some... um, some limited evidence that suggests there may be a link with um, childhood sexual trauma and abuse with PMDD. But that doesn't mean that every person with PMDD has experienced that. Um, but it's it's one of the many, 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 many questions that we've got around PMDD. Um, and I think this is something that comes up a lot, um, the link with trauma and PTSD. And it would be fascinating to do a large scale study to, to kind of try and understand more about the links and, and how those manifest. For sure, definitely, definitely want to look into. But anyway, thank you so much, Claire Louise, for your time. It's honestly been so lovely chatting to you about PMDD and work. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been a real pleasure. That's all we have time for now. Tune in next time when I'll be joined by the leading PMDD campaigner, Laura Murphy, who is the Director of Education and Awareness at IAPMP and founder of Vicious Cycle to discuss PMDD 
awareness. Don't forget to subscribe. Recorded and produced by the AV Club Podcast Production.